navigating the fetid, frustrating, beckoning, blood-sucking swamps of difficulty discussion. Inspirations behind FromSoft's latest going all the way back to the NES. Two very different approaches to designing an open world and the benefit of letting a new game experience sit and relax like a good steak. I'm the Well-Read Mage and this is MageCast. Two worlds unite for this episode centered around the smash hit Elden Ring. My own experience has barely scratched the surface of this humongous iceberg that is Soulsborne Kiro Ring. But I am joined by Gary Butterfield and Cole Ross from Duckfeed and Bonfireside Chat, two veterans of the discussion and source material at hand whose expertise in navigating the treacherous slopes of games criticism is a boon from Queen Merica herself. Unpacking a game like Elden Ring is no easy task, but I think we put the finger on it with concision, decision, and precision. Let Magecast be your maiden, and let us turn your rooms to strength. Magecast is the podcast for the lonely, for those who miss the simple pleasure of a shared dialogue. Magecast is the podcast for conversationalists in a world where we've already stopped listening to each other. As ever, you can learn more about MageCast at thepixels.com. That's the-pixels.com. Or find me on Twitter and Twitch at the Well-Read Mage. Now, let's start the show. Why, hello, tarnished, are we? Welcome to MageCast. My name is Moses, a.k.a. the Well-Read Mage. Really excited for this episode. After finishing up the game in question, uh, I searched I searched frantically. I was like, I need to talk to somebody about this game now. And so I kind of reached out my tendrils as I do. And uh, somebody who listens to the show, uh, Schwank, uh, he recommended the fellas at Bonfireside Chat. So I looked it up and I was like, oh, oh, baby. Uh, they're Okay. So they, they run a really organized show, which is nice. It's really clear. One of the things that I run in with podcasts is like, Stop, stop I with the inside jokes. I just met you. How am I supposed to know who you are? All you're doing is laughing. But these guys, they they put out a great podcast. You've probably heard of it before if you're listening to an Elden Ring podcast. But this is, as I'm going to get into, my first experience really with modern FromSoft. So I'm delighted to introduce to you Gary and Cole from Bonfire Side Chat. How are you doing, folks? Hello. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Now, as we were getting into before the episode, uh, I do have a confession to make, and that was that I completely placed their voices to the wrong face. I thought Cole was Gary and Gary was Cole. So, uh, <laughs> gentlemen, <laughs> now that we're recording, I apologize. <laughs> we're but, here to shatter illusions. The, 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 the healing can begin now. Yeah, <laughs> take some time for therapy. Uh, excellent uh, white-faced Vare impersonation yeah. oh, thank in the you. beginning. That, that sounded you. really, really good. And then we began, like, oh, yeah, there we go. Hey, thanks. That's another one of the things that we do on this show. Like I told you, we sing, and I guess we do voices. I don't know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but hey, so that our listeners kind of get more of a sense of who you are. Uh, why don't we start with you, Cole? Uh, Cole, who are you, really? <laughs> And, uh, what, yeah, like, like, tell me everything Yeah, and, uh, maybe tell me, okay, tell me, tell me who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like why you do what you do and, uh, and yeah, those, those are pretty, pretty good. I think. 
Um, yeah, no, I'm Cole. Uh, I am one part of duckfeed.tv, one half of Bonfireside Chat and Watch Out for Fireballs, uh, co-host with uh, with Gary on a bunch of shows about games and, you know, kind of culture. We do some TV shows, movie kind of things, uh, just, a, just a lot of different things over on our own little network over there. Uh, and I think I do this because I can't be employed anywhere else. Um, no, I just, I, <laughs> I really enjoy playing and talking about games an awful lot. I feel like we've done a pretty good job at figuring out how to drill down deep. Uh, I have to say though, you are the first person who has ever, uh, lauded our ability to refrain from making inside jokes. So that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah and that's not something that everybody complains about or anything like but i swear i listened to a podcast with uh four dudes there was the red flag right there but four four guys on one episode mm-hmm. and the whole time it was like listening to like sleep uh, like a sleepover and uh, i was like i i don't know what you're talking about i was don't. it the sleepover <laughs> cast because there's your problem <laughs> The, the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, this was a long time ago. I don't remember the name of the the show. It might have been because Sleepover is in the title. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully, they're not listening. Uh, Cole, they're thank asleep. you very much. They're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it writes itself, people. Yeah. The jokes write themselves. Uh, Gary, care to uh, tell us a bit more about yourself and why it is you do what you do? Yeah, I. Uh, this is Gary, who does the things that Cole also does, but with him. And, uh, I like doing this because it's a dream job and it's really fun. Um, it is fun to talk about games and movies and stuff and have like several kind of good time goof them up sessions per week where you get to make <laughs> jokes, uh, inside and otherwise. <laughs> Excellent. So let me throw out a kind of a broad question here. You know, we mentioned drill down, uh, deeper, you hear the term deep dive being thrown around, uh, I'm sure. Uh, what does that mean to you too? Like, what does it mean to look deeper into a game, to dig deeper into a game? So uh, one of the things that I th- I think, I don't want to speak for you, Cole, you, you know, mm-hmm. feel free to correct me or add anything. Um, one of our goals with the network, uh, Bonfireside Chat was a show that we did. Uh, we, you know, we'd already done Watch Out for Fireballs. Um, but something that always frustrates me about video games is the ephemeral nature of the uh, discussion around it. Mm. Uh, people who review video games uh, typically you know, do not get a lot of time. Like a lot of times uh, they will not have completed the game or you know, don't spend a lot of time with the long tail of it and don't spend a lot of time uh, in reflection to really let something land because new stuff is coming out all the time. So in addition to kind of reviews, also the discussion will move on from things. Mm. Uh, one of the things we wanted to do was to talk about games in a way that was kind of evergreen uh, that got away from a news and kind of hype cycle. Um, What are these uh, cultural objects and pieces of art after that initial shock of the new kind of wears off? Um, It's no longer just the the new thing. There's a lot of depth here. Let's really chew our steaks. You know, (laughs) let's really uh, spend some time on this and let's do it to things that are old and maybe never got that treatment uh, before. In addition to things that are, that are new. Um, with the Soulsborne games, with, with the FromSoft games, they support even, you know, even deeper than that. Like we can do, we'll do like a two or three hour discussion on an older game for our other show for the Soulsborne games. We'll do like, you know, a two hour discussion on one area of it. Uh, it's just very dense. There's a lot of text there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Beautifully said. Cole, did you have anything to add to that? Just think about it at different levels of Zoom. Uh, obviously, getting the distance from the game's release and the hype cycle and the initial conversation is really important because I think that helps you look at context a little bit better. Um, and yeah, it is just about looking closer um, and dialing in, you know, what details you decide to focus on and, you know, what you decide to pull uh, in order to kind of make your case for what you think is done well, what you think is done poorly, what you think this is about, um, and even what one, uh, you know, mechanical or story decision in one place says about another decision elsewhere. So that's what I think, you know, zooming in as much as we do, especially with Bonfireside Chat, lets us lets us achieve um, is kind of building up that case. I feel like Liquid Snake right now. Just brother, <laughs> this is <laughs> you're speaking my language here. Uh, something we often say on the show is is criticism takes time, uh, yeah. and that that principle being that reflection, that thinking about something, musing on something, uh, ruminating on something that that takes some time. I mean, we see a lot of really explosive and and hyperbolic, uh, and in some cases deserved, in many cases deserved, I'll say. Uh, you know, the high numericals coming out in reviews right when a game launches, and you're right, that kind of really fades over time. But uh, a, a question that haunted me since I first was asked it is how much more can be said about Super Mario World, really? And I was like, uh, people are still talking about the Iliad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like Super Mario World is not even really that old on the scale of the history of the human race. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much to be said about these games, uh, these stories and the stories that surround them contextually. And that I think that really plays into kind of the first question that we had here. But this is Magecast episode 79 entitled Fingerprints. Elden Ring is our subject. It was developed by From Software and published by Bandai. Bandai Bandai Namco for PC, PlayStation, and Xbox systems in February 2022. Our question here is from Play Comics Cast, who said, didn't this game come out like 10 minutes ago? Has it existed long enough to get worthwhile critique and commentary on it? And yeah, I feel that really plays into kind of what we're talking about here on a, on a broad spectrum. Uh, I actually looked it up. What was it like 73, 74 days or something like that <laughs> when he asked the question? So not 10 minutes, but then I guess let me put forward a specific question on top of that. And maybe Cole, you could answer this. Uh, how, how much time has to go by generally speaking? So for an individual, it's however long you yourself take to go through it. Obviously, there's that. But when we're talking about a game like Elden Ring, um, and especially uh, you know from a series or from a, a developer that has this cottage industry of people who examine it closely, um, either you know like we do as part of an ongoing project, or you know on communities like Reddit or like YouTube. Um, uh, <laughs> A very thorough dive um, on everything that is in it can be kind of completed because you have so many people making a focused and concerted effort to kind of pull it together. Mm, that I and, see. you know, depending on the person, depending on the people, I feel, you know, pretty uh, equipped to talk about Elden, Elden Ring this um 
this close to release just because everything is in the context of the developer and the decisions that that, that they had made in the past, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, like, yes, it came out here very shortly, uh, very recently, rather. Um, uh, and yeah, that can seem a little bit farcical at one point. Um, I would say, no, it has not necessarily been too short of a time. Um, and, uh, that can it has a context. Like, yes. It, it because has it has a context. All, yeah. There, there's a, there's a pre-existing context that sets up, yeah. uh, the things in Elden Ring. Like it, it exists, uh, in relation to the developer's previous work. Yes. Um, and that can coexist with the idea that uh, a different summary will will happen later because the context is going to change. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is it too soon to make a definitive say? Yeah. Uh, but I think the idea of having a definitive say is a little bit kind of meh anyway. It's not something mm -hmm. that I would seek to, you know, kind of create myself because I don't think that's up to me. No, that's a good point. I I'm, sometimes I'll get pushed back against a critique, uh, but and sometimes people ask me like, have you ever went back and revisited a critique? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll go back and change something if, if I can remember or if it'll pop out to me. Um, Cause I was opinion changes over time and, and that's totally fine. Yeah. You're a person. So you get to, right. you get to, you're a different person. You're not stepping in the same river twice. Um, I think that when it comes to th talking about art and talking about games, uh, there is a weird desire to have an established truth mm -hmm. and an objective truth to something. And with something like Elden Ring, it being very new, uh, our understandings of it are evolving as we go, as we're in this process and we'll continue to, uh, and then we will put it down for a while. We'll be like, oh, I figured out what I think about Elden Ring. And then who knows? You know, we could pick it back, you could pick it back up or you could have a new insight or something else could come out that could recontextualize it. There's really, there's no governing body. So there's mm -hmm. not really any pressure or impetus to be right uh, about this kind of stuff, I feel like, or to solve mm -hmm. it uh, like an equation. It's not that kind of, uh, not kind of that kind of dance, you know? Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, there are times when I wish there was a governing body <laughs> over gaming. And then there's other times it's just like, oh, there's pocket communities, there's fractal communities. Uh, people interact with their circles and they have these discussions. So I think that, I mean, that's a lot of the reason why I started this show is because I wanted that discussion, not just so much, this is what I say about this game and that's my final take, but talking with a variety of different people. Uh, I mean, this is the first time I've ever talked with you two. Uh, and I'm really excited to get, you know, into this and, and all the thoughts that you have on it. And I feel like coming out of that discussion, uh, you get more than just somebody writing a critique or, or a review. Um, you get something that presents, you know, multiple sides of an issue. So as we get into it, by the way, folks, this is a spoilers episode. Every episode of Magecast is a spoilers episode, whether we're talking about Tetris or Elden Ring. So be forewarned, uh, a few mage facts to get started. The game was directed by Miyazaki in collaboration with George R.R. R. Martin for world building. Now, are either of you familiar with R.R. R. Martin at all? Uh, I'm moderately so. I, okay. I watched all of that show and I've read most of the books, the, the Ice and Fire books, not the rest of them. Not his okay. weird hippie sci-fi stuff that I'm not familiar with. I just know it exists. <laughs> uh, so generally, yes-ish, but I, I'm couching because uh, people, the people who are 
big ice and fire fans tend to go really deep and i'm uh, by no means that deep into it uh, casual i fan. see uh, that's 200 percent times more than <laughs> myself i've never <laughs> seen that show uh that show that shall not be named i've never read the books either uh cole hey are you a fan of martin uh, I'm a well-wisher in that I wish him no specific harm. Um, I, <laughs> no, I, I just, I, he's not a, it's not a series of books I've really looked into. I've seen one season of the show, um, and I thought it was fine, but you know, I just, it, watching a show that's in progress is not something I generally like to do. I like to, I like to watch all of it. Um, mm. and the, yeah, so not with no, this show. I, I like, this isn't the kind of show you want to watch all of not anymore yeah. Yeah. we all had hope there for a minute and then <laughs> I'm, I'm curious uh to to kind of dive in more um i think that maybe i'm a little bit more uh, curious about like one-offs i know that around the time bloodborne was coming out uh um specifically the lead designer on this miyazaki uh was a big fan of a book called fever dream uh, kind of a vampire book that uh, Martin had written, uh, which I am curious about, but have uh, not pulled the trigger on listening to the audiobook version of it yet. Ah, I see. So I was going to ask. I mean, you so since you're familiar with uh, the body of FromSoft's work um, here, it, were, was there any moment in Elden Ring where you were like, "Ah, that's an R.R. Martin idea"? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, this okay. has been kind of a contentious thing. Uh, I don't know if contentions is the right word, but people in the, in the fandoms have kind of agreed and disagreed. And there's also conflicting information on exactly what George R. R. Martin had to do with things. Uh, my mm. current understanding is that he wrote a novella that basically set up the events of the game before the inciting incident. So made the kind of pantheon and a bunch of concepts from the world. And then when they started working on the game, they added the shattering and kind of where things are now. Um, and within the bits that you can still see that are prior to the, the actual shattering, there are tons of George R. R. Martin, like pet themes, um, characters, uh, carrying false identities, you know, uh, you know, somebody going incognito as someone else or actually being someone else is something that comes up all the time in those books. Um, there are a lot of, individual factions within a faction which is a, mm. a big george r. r martin thing like it's not just like here's sorcery island it's <laughs> no there are two families on 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 there that have kind of different philosophies and within you know the carrion school and the rea lucaria school there are different kind of sub schools uh within that you know there are the glintstone sorcerers but then there are the graven mages uh mm -hmm. you know we're taking it too far things like that um, that's very George R. R. Martin. That level of yeah. specificity in the uh, the kind of factions. Yeah. Then there are um, uh, certain things that are pet themes that are shared by both. So Dark Souls, specifically Dark Souls One, really concerns itself with um, a really broken and dysfunctional ruling family, um, uh, which obviously is all over Game of Thrones, and you see that here um, in Elden Ring as well, uh, which concerns itself with. Uh, both the literal and figurative family tree um, of America, uh, right? And the way that uh, them working, all of the offspring working at odds with each other has kind of shaped and twisted the world. Let's take a moment to catch our breath here and remember that there's not always a great overlap between the gamer lifestyle and good physical and mental health. The stereotypical image of a gamer is one of the most ghastly pallor. I'm delighted to introduce to you 
Cosmic Dust, a brand committed to the belief that every person should reach their maximum potential. They offer a variety of supplements designed to support the physical and mental needs of today's gamers. As we become a digital society, spending more and more time behind screens, natural, nutritional, holistic supplements are more than worth looking into. Whether you find yourself suffering from a lack of pep during the day or battling insomnia at night. Visit Cosmic Dust and check out their selection for focus, energy, and sleep, or browse their blog for helpful articles on diet and relaxation. Link in the description. Uh, looking up some examples of what what inspirations went into this. Uh, Lord of the Rings, RuneQuest, Shadow of the Colossus, and Breath of the Wild were just some of the titles that I saw cited as inspirations for Elden Ring. Uh, I'm sure you two have heard of more. But as a, as a broader question, what's a game that you think, um, you know, say you're, ta- you're trying to get somebody to play Elden Ring or you're introducing them to what Elden Ring is about. What's a, a game or a book or movie that you would cite as, uh, as something that's comparable? I, th- I mean, this is everyone brought up this comparison, but I think it's actually a little bit better than it seems on first blush, which is Breath of the Wild. Um, you know, you can almost think of open world games as there being two types of open world games. There are kind of checklist open world games and there are go find the mysteries open world games. And Mm -hmm. when, uh, breath of the wild came out, I think part of the reason why it was so successful and popular was because it was firmly in that second camp and it'd been a minute. Um, we, we were in an Ubisoft Bethesda, you know, check out the map marker. Uh, kind of zone for a long time and then breath of the wild came out and it was like hey you see that hill over there like what's over on the other side of that hill maybe that'll be cool (laughs) you know go check it out uh elden ring is that kind of thing except there's more stuff on the other side of the hill it has that uh same kind of non-prescriptive um you know exploratory version of the open world that breath of the wild has but denser uh, is maybe how I describe it, and with a focus on deeper combat and builds and and the like. Obviously, there are tons of differences, but I do think that it has a little bit of that feel to it. Absolutely, yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Uh, one of the really refreshing things for me is that it didn't try and tell this really specific linear story as you're playing it. Um, you know, because you'll spend in a game in this format, you'll spend hours hours just chasing down, you know, little quests and exploring little dungeons and finding items and secrets. And then suddenly you hit a, a cutscene for the next part in the game. And I, if you're anything like me, you're like, I have, can't even remember what's going on. <laughs> so I really don't feel like the, the open world format is good for telling those same really linear single player focused story experiences it kind of shoots itself in the foot at, at at a certain point whereas here with elden ring and certainly with breath of the wild there's a greater emphasis on exploration uh cole what, what would be a game that you would think of uh that's uh that's comparable to what elden ring is like I mean, I really don't have an original thought on this because I agree with I agree with Gary that I think uh, Breath of the Wild is a is a very good uh, a very good comparison. Um, you know, I think that there's a certain amount of 
let's say a little bit of like, uh, uh, I don't even know, you couldn't say this is a, a, um, uh, an inspiration, but like uh, Death Stranding, insofar mm-hmm. as getting around in this is actually really important. Um, and kind of uh, understanding the way that the uh, map and the world relate to each other is a big part of the appeal. Um, and kind of paying a little bit more attention uh, to the natural features of, you know, what surrounds you as you are making your way, I think really pays dividends because you're not going to have waypoints that are going to point you towards points of interest, uh, things mm-hmm. like that. You just have to be able to, you know, intuit based on um, really just paying attention to details. Um, so I think that that is, you know, uh, just uh, something I would say to avoid making the cliche uh, comparison, which is which is the Breath of the Wild, or just to say that this really is very much a Soulsborne game. It is of the lineage. And, you know, that was a surprise and a relief to us because you couldn't always, you know, there, there was a point where we couldn't really take that for granted that it was going to be um, as true to kind of its, uh, you know, it, what came before it. Uh, as far as like That's- literature. Oh, good. Or it's very funny that the question thinking about that because neither of us said Dark Souls. Yeah, we, which is a, a real big like. If you like this, you probably like Dark Souls. <laughs> it, it, the yeah. thing it has obviously the most in common with. Like, uh, yeah. Since since we're past a spoiler wall on this, uh, which is relieving because you know we're still trying to figure out how to not spoil things on our on this season of the show. Um, oh, everybody makes the Lovecraft comparison with um, with with Bloodborne. Oh my God, mm-hmm. is that so present here? Um, and like, I think that that has not entered the conversation just because it is late game reveals, um, you know, Mm -hmm. and has a, a, you know, like a really big sway on the, on the overall, on the overall story, um, then, then you might initially expect, expect when you start, but like, we, like, this is very much a story about a world that, that is a, a world and people that are at the hands of, uncaring deities that they can neither um uh, understand nor really please that's good stuff i I, there's something else too that i want to run past you here while we're still on inspirations but the the last fact that i wrote down and this is coming from my heart folks this is not at all a bad first entry into the worlds of fromsoft it's not there are so many people when i was like hey i'm playing elden ring there were so many people like oh man Good luck. Buckle up, sit down, make sure you have a drink on and on and on and playing it. I was really expecting to just just be trashed by this game. Of course, I mean, the the lineage is notoriously difficult, right? But what I found not to be like, oh, I'm such an amazing gamer. No, uh, it felt familiar. And I it dawned on me that this is Zelda one like the first legend of zelda with zelda 2's combat and i don't know if you if either of you have played i'm sure you've played zelda one zelda 2 is a little eh. i played it somewhat recently <laughs> but zelda one is an open world game mm-hmm. on nes yeah zelda one you just go everywhere you can find all kinds of secrets it rewards your curiosity uh baffling and given its its historical context, its hardware, its hardware context, uh, that it could accomplish so much. But then, where's the combat come in? Well, Zelda Two, Zelda Two has this really complex uh, combat with enemies that use shields that you kind of have to play around parrying. It's 
got the downward thrust. It's got jumping. It's got all these things. And I was like, man, Elden Ring is Zelda one and two. Is that really off base? I feel like that's no. apt. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's perfectly fine. We we um, on our show between FromSoft releases, we covered other games that influenced or have things to do with Souls. And the game we covered before we covered Elden Ring was Zelda One, uh, for that show Beautiful. because of that comparison. Yeah, um, Zelda One is an extremely Dark Souls game, or vice versa, you know, rather. <laughs> uh, and Zelda Two, why I've always had a big weakness for that game. I enjoy that game quite a bit. Um, it does have deeper combat and kind of rhythm uh based combat that you would later see um in in the the FromSoft game. So I think it's a pretty good comparison uh, yeah, to it. It's not one to one, but it's there's a no, little no, bit no. of like the big thing that I always think of with 8-bit stuff with Souls that comes up a lot that is really accurate is Castlevania. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. because you you commit to your your actions and the pace is really pretty slow in uh in mm. most Souls games, not always. I would love to see an Elden Ring 8-bit demake now that we're talking about all this. I think there's one uh, being done for uh, Game Boy right now. I saw really? stuff about that. Who knows? Because those projects... There's a Nintendo 64 one as well that yeah. uh, wow. has like a, a, a demo or a playable level or something like that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. It's interesting, too, to think about... You, know, you mentioned lineage, that kind of conceptual lineage going back so far all the way to the NES... Uh, but since this was my first entry, I want to ask you two, where would you recommend players starting with modern from soft or Soulsborne, whatever you want to call that? Would you think that Elden Ring is a, is a good kind of accessible entry point? It's, it's a thing where the, the recommendation of where to start question is always difficult because going back, will have some, some growing pains, like you will miss the jump button. And you will miss, uh, there's a, there's an element of freedom of kind of build and approach in Elden Ring that is not always shared. That is in several of the, the FromSoft games, but not all of them, you know? So uh, Elden Ring might be a good place to start because it's very active right now. People are talking about it. It's easy to summon help. Uh, but it might not be because you usually want to move forward. Otherwise, it can be, you know, it can be difficult to move backwards. Like if you played Breath of the Wild, going back to Zelda 1, for example, might be a little bit difficult. Um, there are tons of secrets. It's still a great game. Those secrets don't have any hints or signaling towards them. It's really esoteric. Um, it doesn't give you any direction, you know, at all. Uh, so that might be a difficult move. Um, so I think this is a fine place to start, but if I were just crafting a person in a lab and we're just like, you know, do, do what, do what I want, I would say, start with dark souls. Uh, I would, I would basically say, do the exact same thing I did. Uh, <laughs> Gary, so, let me, let me ask you, why not, uh, demon souls? Just cause there's going to be that one person listening, like why not demon souls? So why start with dark souls? Demon souls is actually really valid. Now, previous to this, I always said dark souls because of availability. Uh, uh, I see. You know, with the remake, though, you can play Demon Souls now easily. Previous to that, it was, you know, in the PS3 dungeon. So a lot of people just didn't have access. And, and I guess that's true yeah. now with the PS5. A lot of people don't have access. If you can start with Demon Souls, Demon Souls is great mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and really worth your time. Uh, Cole, would you would you agree with that? That Elden Ring is a good starting point? Yeah, I, I, I think Elden Ring is 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 a fine place to start. But my biggest concern would be it is so huge that I think that people uh, would kind of play 20 hours and then burn out on it. 
uh, without uh, understanding that like there will be huge big stuff, huge big good stuff waiting for them. I think Dark Souls One, you know, um, would be a good place to start because it's a little bit more manageable to do, and you can see a complete arc of it um, in a reasonable amount of time. I I feel hesitant to say somebody who does not know from soft from Adam, uh, sit down and play this 100 hour RPG <laughs> it would be weird. I know that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my primary concern. I agree with what Gary said about uh, you know the, the the difficulty of moving back. Well, there is the uh, the remaster right that they put out for Dark Souls. It was a couple of years ago at this point. I mm-hmm. think yes, that doesn't change the gameplay at all though. Okay. Or wow. barely. So like there, it kind of just, just a couple puts, minor things. Yeah. Uh, I see. And it puts like a new kind of sheen on it, huh? Makes In, it more compatible with current systems. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Well, let's get into some of the more specifics with a FromSoft context. Uh, question here from Bakuiel on Twitter. So odd thing, but the ads for Elden Ring made me think it was an MMO. And it wasn't until I watched Wolfheart FPS play that i realized this was a single player game but anyway my question is that this game started such a discussion on difficulty how does it compare to souls games so i want to kind of refine that there because we'll return to the subject of difficulty here in a bit uh also i had to empathize with with this take uh i also thought it was an mmo at (laughs) first when i when i saw the uh the commercials for it i was like oh okay i i don't have time for an mmo (laughs) that's cool that this exists uh but then i was really excited that it's you know a game you can play single player uh but how does it compare to souls games so we talked a bit about accessibility which one you should start with how do you feel in terms of the difficulty though is this one of the harder or easier uh from soft games it's 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 a whole there's a whole can of worms with, with difficulty as, as you alluded to, but we'll get to it's uh difficulty is one of the things that we talk about in the show. It's very rarely, is it just like a stat? Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of different axes to it. And what I've, what I basically landed on with Elden ring is that I think Elden ring is actually a little harder than most of their games, but gives you a lot more tools for mitigating difficulty. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's a wider range, you know, higher ceiling, lower floor, Um, if you are using all the tools available, if you're using summons and summoning help and respecking, uh, you know, and playing the game with all the options available, it is an easier game, I think, than Dark Souls 3, easier than Sekiro, probably easier than Bloodborne. Um, if you are, would like to just play, you know, kind of honor mode, you want to play one-on-one with all the bosses and stuff, I think it is as hard as, as Bloodborne. And kind of the Dark Souls three DLC, uh, which are very difficult. Um, yeah. So it, it's kind of up there. It, it kind of depends on you know the, it it makes that question puts more of it in the player's hands, which is a net positive to me. Big net positive. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that giving the player more agency, more choice. Uh, Try not to <laughs> pull the trigger too soon on the on the difficulty discussion, but absolutely agree. I think giving the player more tools. Uh, let them kind of think outside the box. Uh, Cole, anything to add to that? Yeah. So prior to this, you know, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, and Sekiro especially, 
the fact of those being structured the way they are, they run you up against difficulty walls uh, pretty frequently. Uh, you'll slam into something and there's really nothing else to do other than beat your head against it until you uh, find a way either around or through it. Um, I think Elden Ring feels different and will likely feel less frustrating, if not less difficult. Um, because when you bounce off of a wall, there's almost always something else you can go do, uh, mm -hmm. to improve your skill as a player and also improve your avatar skill by exploring in a different place or fighting different stuff, um, and then come back better equipped. And that is something that they teach you to do very early on in Elden Ring. Definitely. And I had heard that about the Souls games. Uh, that when you're at a boss, you just kind of beat your head against it until like a wave crashing against the shore until you beat it. Uh, so maybe one of the more like refreshing things here or inviting things here is just so that you can do some grinding, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. uh, and kind of scale that difficulty in, in that way. Um, I do want to readdress difficulty later on, as I said, but, uh, just to get into a few other FromSoft things. Do you have uh, any major experience with FromSoft games pre-Souls? Yeah. Yeah, we, we've uh, we played quite a few of them for the show. So the, the immediate predecessor uh, series, Kingsfield, uh, which Demon Souls is a spiritual successor of, and kind of offshoots of that. And uh, we've also played some kind of miscellaneous. You know, one yeah. of the, uh, the Armored Core games, we played Eternal Ring, uh, and kind of dove around. So we've, we've definitely, uh, feel like about half of their major input we've touched on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. It, it, you know, it, it, armored core is such a huge part of that. And then we've only done one, uh, armored core for answer, uh, which is the one that kind of the uh, main guy behind souls, uh, had input into, uh, Miyazaki. Um, so saying, you know, it's hard to be confident and say yes, but like definitely with Kingsfield shadow tower, um, and miscellaneous stuff, we have, uh, you know, really looked in and explored the stuff that came, uh, prior. Ah, excellent. Well, that's good to know. Cause I'll meet some people, you know, they make it sound like these games were kind of invented with, with demon souls. And so not just refreshing to go and talk as far back as thinking of Lord of the Rings and NES games, but to hear you mention Armored Core, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I've loved Armored Core since the second game and picked up most of them, enjoyed most of them, thought they were really hard and brutal and never knew that they were made by FromSoft <laughs> a lot until somewhat recently. Yeah. Uh, and thinking about Elden Ring and then like, oh, my gosh, look at this. This is a game that I that I enjoyed in the past. And I feel like there is some DNA, you know, even though those are kind of mech building games. Um, I feel like this is kind of my dream game. I feel like it would be a really cool thing to kind of fuse that setting of Elden Ring with the the mech building stuff from the Armored Core series. Um, but with mods, you may get what you want. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> and I just became a PC gamer too. So, <laughs> welcome. Uh, I'll have to check. Oh, thank you, thank <laughs> you. It's been a welcoming atmosphere. Um, another game, you know. So I mentioned this is really my first modern FromSoft experience. Uh, I have tried Sekiro. Oh yeah. Uh, a friend of mine lent me their copy, and I checked it out, and I thought it was extremely difficult. Um, I could not get a hang of the, the pairing mechanic at all. 
now that I've played through Elden Ring, I plan to go back and play Sekiro. I've got a copy of Bloodborne um, and Dark Souls Remastered, and I plan to go back and check those out. Um, I did. Did Sekiro seem extra difficult to to either of you? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We 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 got yelled at about, about a bunch about that. That that's why we were referring <laughs> to earlier. Uh, it, but it, it's great. It's very illustrative of the difference with Elden Ring. Um, like I think Sekiro was very difficult. I had a hard time with that. In addition to being very difficult, it also does that other access where there are not a lot of things to do. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're having a problem, to Cole's point, you know you can't often bounce off and go somewhere else. You can do a limited degree. But it's much more linear. You don't have the entire world to bounce off of. There are not RPG mechanics, uh, so you cannot, uh, with a couple of very minor exceptions, substitute avatar strength for for player skill. Uh, Sekiro was the game that I most did the what you were talking about, uh, Red, with the um, beating your head, you know, just crashing waves on a beach, yeah, <laughs> on a boss. Like I'd had that experience with previous games, but Sekiro was the one I had that most experience with. Um, wow. it is, you know, and consequently it's my least favorite of their modern games. Uh, I still think it's good. I still think there are things to recommend it. Um, but it broke my heart a little bit and, yeah. and it's hard to come back from that. At a certain point, you know, asking it to do something different is kind of asking it to be a different kind of game. You know, I think mm-hmm. I just kind of became a little bit resigned is okay resigned is the wrong word i accepted that this was them leaning more into a character action uh uh you know kind of devil may cry uh or ninja gaiden uh style of play that was a little bit more twitchy a little bit more uh reliant on um kind of memorizing and internalizing just a very wide range of boss moves um and yeah they they wanted to make that game and that's not the game that i wanted to play so i just kind of stopped holding the kind of game that it was against it while still you know admitting like yeah no i just i i I did not have that great of a time with it that's that's a healthy response i think i'm sure you've run into the sentiment that uh there are consumers who want these games to be something that they're decidedly not yeah uh Mm. that they they have been designed with a specific vision in mind and that's what they are like it or leave it um and you know somebody responded to me well like well what if it hurts their sales i'm like that's how it works (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry it's not my problem right (laughs) like i don't work for fromsoft like what do you want me to say uh so Gary, that you, Sekiro, you know, you said that's your least favorite. Now I do want to ask you though, Gary, what is your favorite of the FromSoft games? And Cole, what is your favorite? It's a you know, so it's it's a very difficult to separate my first blush feelings of of getting into Dark Souls one and getting in through that wall. But it's it's either Dark Souls one or Elden Ring. Uh, I I really love Elden Ring. Um, it was a huge surprise. I after uh, Sekiro is a little bit worried. Um, the trajectory that the company was going on. Um, and it just keeps giving. Uh, I really, really love it. And it feels silly to call anything new, you know, like that first question we got, hasn't this game been out for 10 minutes? Um, mm-hmm. that, that opinion might evolve, but it's, it's basically, it's a toss up between those two. Um, yeah. you know, if, if I can separate out my first blush feelings, it's Elden Ring. Otherwise, you know, you can't, you can't argue with your first, uh, yeah. I mean, first, I, and that's, you know. That's the safety of the word favorite, though. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's true. Like, I, I didn't <laughs> ask you which one you think is the best, Gary, because then you've got to come with some ammunition, right? But if you say right now at this point in time, this is my favorite, that is entirely feelings based. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this show is always about making that distinction because <laughs> some people try and trap you. Cole, what about you? Which one's your favorite? I, I mean, it, it sounds like there's a there's an echo in here. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I assure you, I assure you there's not. You know, let, let's say front to back. My favorite is uh, uh, definitely uh, the original Dark Souls, right? Uh, I think that that is an unassailable product. I think that um, Elden Ring falls down at certain points just because there is so much of it. You know, I, we're going to get to the point where we talk about some parts in the middle where it gets a little bit flabby and such like that. Um, but you, like I'll, if I had to decide, OK, I can only pick one of these games to sit down and play right now, I would probably say Elden Ring and not just because we have to prep to record tomorrow. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but like I, I, I thought about throwing a curveball and saying Kingsfield for the ancient city, because that yeah. was that that was the closest that, uh, you know, anything from the studio got to like really pleasantly surprising me and like drawing me into a new world again by its atmosphere um, and by the kind of world that it put together. And I want more people to pay attention to that game. But that would be um, a bit of a swing to say I like it more than Elden Ring at this point. So that I think gets an honor- honorable mention. Uh, I have not heard of any. I think Kingsfield 1 was that PS1 game, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll have to check it out. I had no idea they made four of them mm-hmm. until like it's only three in the U.S. Ago. Uh, and really really? only two that are worth playing in the u.s right okay interesting and was for the last one that they made that was the one for playstation 2 yeah that's the last in the it was the last in the series like the main series they did some uh like psp spinoff kind of deals uh along with a pc version that shipped with a uh that shipped with a level editor but uh i wouldn't call those main parts of the series all right. Well, I'll have to check that out. Uh, hopefully it hasn't gone the way of most games in the retro market these days. Yeah. A question here from Prof Noctis. As longtime Soulsborne fans, uh, and this is obviously for you, Gary and Cole, who have followed every entry in the series, is there anything you miss from the more linear Souls games, narrative-wise, do you think Elden Ring may have any relation to former titles? Uh, I feel like we've really kind of covered a, a lot of that connective tissue, but is there anything you missed from the more linear Souls games? For, for me, uh, we get I've gotten asked this question a couple times, and for me, the answer is no. Uh, and the reason being is that I feel like Elden Ring contains a lot of the same stuff uh, with the big, larger dungeons. Um, in my head, I can jam those together uh, and just imagine them next to each other, (laughs) which is what an old souls game would be. And I really value the overland poking into nooks and crannies and looking for stuff. So for me, it was purely additive uh, in terms of my emotions. If I were saying like objectively, you know, again, there's that conflict you're talking about with the show. It's hard to say it's like something Mm -hmm. like dark souls one or bloodborne is more of a narrative and cohesive experience. Um, I'm just able to connect those dots in my brain just fine. Yeah. Uh, I also, I don't, I do not think there's a narrative connection between Elden Ring and the previous games. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of grand unified kind of Hyrule uh, historia kind of stuff people will do to try to be like, Oh, like bloodborne is so far in the past <laughs> that it's the beginning of dark souls, things like that. I don't think that's actually 
the case. It's it's you know if it's fun for people, I don't want to take it away from them, but I don't think it's the right. case. Yeah, I I think I think that anything you see that is an echo is just a narrative echo. It is the fact that uh, uh, from has favorite subjects. Um, you know, they love a poison swamp. They love a beautiful city <laughs> that's partway through being ruined. They uh, love a bald guy named Patches who uh, likes to ruin your day. You know, who doesn't? <laughs> well i mean that is refreshing to hear you know you mentioned hyrule historia uh god forbid they hyrule historia this thing into oblivion Uh, (laughs) we were just chatting about this with final fantasy Mm -hmm. Uh, there are fans who will you know do their darndest to attempt to come up with some kind of canon chronology that ties everything together uh and again if that's fun for them then that's great Uh, you know whatever puts a smile on your face uh but don't foist your cult on me, please. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> For lack of a better term, as, as a creative writing prompt or as a group improv kind of kind of thing, you know, just sitting around some beers or around a fire, sure, fine. Uh, otherwise, uh, do not assign more weight to that uh, kind or, of speculation. Or as a group improv on a stage at your local community theater. Like, well, hey, we're the ruin- mixed nuts, and here's our. Does anyone have a prompt for a way that Dark Souls could be connected to Bloodborne? I think it might go something like this. <laughs> you're, you're giving you're giving up this next month's slate at the community theater. Come on, yeah. we're we're the town's Excellent. worst improv group, and we're here to tell you that. Uh, <laughs> yep. Hey, I'd pay to see that. I, we're gonna take our bar. Hey, we've we've been no appeal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Oh, there is no next time. Okay. Well, bye. a cigar box you can throw gas money into if you want, <laughs> and you'll never see us again. Yeah, I feel like the value there is from explicit statements from the developers themselves, from the creators themselves. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure they haven't said, by the way, Elden Ring is not in the same chronology as you know the Souls games, but um, it could be fun to imagine. Um, the evolution of the open world the evolution of of elden ring you know from the the more linear dark souls um turned out to be a a subject that i think generated some thoughts so this is from specter avi on twitter elden rings comparison to breath of the wild in terms of the open world starting with a blank map but landmarks to catch your eye leading you Yet the freedom to explore was a refreshing experience. My first open world game was Horizon Zero Dawn. While I enjoyed it, the sense of discovery was dull. There was only one major secret to discover, and personally, it didn't add much to the game. This comparison being made to older games that had several secret areas, items, bosses, etc. Elden Ring was filled with hidden away dungeons, bosses, helpful items, and secrets. Would it be viable for more open world games to try a similar approach? Or do you think most gamers prefer being told what to do and not having to think much to figure things out with a more straightforward go here, items here, bosses here, etc.? As a boss of a question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Um, this game sold like wild. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that this probably will change the landscape a little bit. I think that that does prove a viability uh, of this approach. And Breath of the Wild did great as well. Uh, which was was a similar kind of approach to open world. Like I, I kind of put them in two categories, uh, and they sold very well. So it's very viable. I think it's more expensive, and I think that that's the the tricky part of it. Like the the secret to Elden Ring is density, 
you know, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, like it's huge, but there's also stuff everywhere. Yeah. Uh, that kind of exploration um, wouldn't work if there wasn't stuff anywhere. And that's what's missing from a more traditional open world game. Um, you know, we, we covered on our other show, we talked about Horizon Zero Dawn, a game I think is okay, like pretty fun, but there's, it's not nearly as chock-a-block full of cool stuff to find. Uh, right. Which takes money and effort and time to put that <laughs> stuff there. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I have the same thoughts on on uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. It made my top 365 favorite games list. Uh, <laughs> so I did like it. Um, but you, know, you think I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I love the game, but it definitely falls in that first category uh, that you were mentioning, Gary. It definitely is what I was saying earlier, that more linear uh, kind of story heavy thing. And I don't feel like I really played through Horizon Zero Dawn and got a sense of Aloy developing or who she is or what she wanted all the time because I would get a cutscene and then I'd go spend 500 hours fighting robots randomly across a huge countryside. And then by the time I get back to the cutscene, I'm like, well, what's going on in this story? Can't, you know, can't remember. It's, it's just too, there's too much friction between the format and the story that they're trying to tell, in my opinion. Um, whereas then with that second category, again, uh, yeah, I feel like you've definitely got to have that density. It would suck to be like, I wonder what's over that hill. Nothing. More hill. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a I field. wonder what's in that tower. You can't yeah. go in the tower. <laughs> I wonder what's in the cave. Joke's on you. It's just nothing. Yeah. So having that kind of density, even in just the first area, Limgrave, I was really impressed. And I spent a lot of time right at the start of the game, just kind of getting a feel for the combat. Like you've got to understand how difficult it was for my brain to wrap around the idea of the triggers are melee attacks. Oh, yeah. mm. <laughs> really hard. <laughs> uh, I, I kept trying to, you know, press square X or triangle to jump around and, and, mm. and swing my sword. But, um, you know, there's so much to do in just that first limb grave area there's so much going on there and that density yeah really important but um a great answer gary what what do you what do you think cole along those lines yeah i mean i just think that the open world genre is not a monolith right and mm-hmm. there are going to be multiple things contained within i think that just like studios have different budgets uh that they allocate for different things people have different appetites that they want for different stuff like elden ring is not going to be where you're going to go if you want let's say f- facial mocap uh when you mm. when somebody when somebody talks they kind of just have a regular mouth flap kind of thing going and i was surprised that they did that much Right. Because of what I'm here for and what from decided to put the resources into was, you know, taking that and making spaces, you know, and yeah, there are uh, the uh, dungeons, your catacombs and your caves uh, and your mines and stuff like that, that use kind of some of the same tile sets and things like that. But they are very much designed spaces that are tucked away and hidden for you to find. So it's about like, where do you want to see your detail? Where do you, where do you want to see your production value? Where do you want to see your incident? Um, is the incident, you know, is it enough or is it sufficient for you to have your incident be that, um, you're going to clear out these outposts, you know, maybe it's going to have one type of enemy in it this time. Maybe it's going to have another enemy in it, like, you know, this time, and you're more interested in a cinematic story, um, alongside that 
then you would be going and playing an Ubisoft game. Whereas with Elden Ring, the incident is almost entirely in the uh, kind of like density, complexity, and interconnectedness of these spaces. Um, and I think that's that's what sets Elden Ring apart. Wow. I, that was yeah. you guys are giving me some really dense and thoughtful answers too. And I really not dense and like, Oh, you guys are so dense, but he's yeah. really like textured <laughs> answers. Yeah. What I a swerve that it. would be. You, you guys are really <laughs> dog in it. Yeah. We're an hour in and I just thought I really need you guys to get a little bit better at this. I'm keep going. <laughs> Joy pad lad is the good guy of retro gaming. You don't earn that moniker just for nothing. Don't believe me? I dare you to visit joypadlad.com and check it out for yourself. Form an informed opinion. The dude has got a variety of games, merch, figures, cards, stickers, paraphernalia in stock and being stocked. Don't see something for you just yet? Keep tabs on the site on the regular for new stock. Comic book fans in particular need to take a look. JPL is adding regular updates with new merch and a lot of that includes a variety of comics. Don't say I never gave you nothing. Oh, and when you check it out, be sure to use the promo code RED10, that's R-E-D-1-0, for 10% off your order. Let them know the well-read mage sent you. I, another kind of th- comparison popped in my head. In Horizon Zero Dawn, you really conveyed the, the lore of the world through what I've compared to kind of the w- little mini Wikipedia articles that you yeah. pick up in like, like a dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, you want me to stop and read right now <laughs> in like an action game, you know? So I feel like having just little snippets of the world attached to items, um, and then you being able as the player, let's say even better than that, the developers trusting in the player to be able to infer whatever happened in this world previously mm-hmm. from just existing in that world is to me a really refreshing uh, look at the open world format. Uh, there's a question here specifically for you two from Rory MCH. Question for the BSC boys: How do you feel Elden Ring will rank with the other modern FromSoft titles in terms of replayability? And do you think the open world aspect of Elden Ring will hinder its replayability in the long term? Interesting question. Cole, why don't we start with you on that one? I think it will rank very high for replayability because mm-hmm. there are so many different builds. There are so many different weapons uh, that you or even spells uh, or schools of spells that you can uh, build a player around. Um, and that was something that we were worried was kind of going away uh, after something like Dark Souls 3, where they had deprecated so many different styles of play. Um, and especially after Sekiro, which was its own uh, much more focused, uh, kind of and narrow, much more focused and narrow thing. Um, I don't think the open world is going to hinder the replayability. Like, yeah, it might be tedious to go through all of it. However, mm-hmm. you don't have to, uh, I, I, I struggled to put a percentage on it because, uh, you know, it, I would either say way too high or way too low, but like you can make beelines for whatever you need or whatever you want. You know, like I don't want to do the quest line um, with uh, with what's her name with uh, with uh, Rena uh, and go underground on this. Like I just said, I'm not. I'm just I'm not interested in that this time. I'm just going to go up to the plateau and mess around up there. Um, I really don't want to mess around with uh, with Kaled. Uh, there's just nothing over there that is relevant to my build. 
you know, I, uh, I I don't want to see that part of the story. You can just you can just go and play and you know make this <laughs> make the ice cream sundae that you want with whatever uh, from is put on the bar for you. Uh, there's very little that is mandatory for it. Um, so yeah, the open the openness doesn't hurt it at all to me. Yeah, I, I generally agree. I think that the um, you know it is up to you. You can beeline past things. I think that some of the difficulty in the game is designed for doing more of the side stuff uh, that you do, mm-hmm. which makes it a little bit tricky to replay. Like I think that uh, the length of it will make it a little tricky. Whereas I know that people uh, you know who replay, like say Bloodborne, one of the reasons I do it is because it's a svelte twenty hours. Yeah, to do so. But in general, when I, I started my second game, I'm at like the end game on my second run. I ran into tons of stuff I didn't do my first time. Mm-hmm. And I have every reason to believe the third time I play it, I will also see things I did not see, yeah. um, not just have a different build experience. I think that's going to do wonders for the replayability. Uh, just the fact that there are lots of nooks and crannies that I did not uh, poke my nose into. Yeah, I mean, because you're not really funneled along just this one specific path. I felt like I was jumping around the map pretty much at whatever my whim at the moment was. Um, And you know when you're about to hit kind of the major story beat bosses. Uh, But case in point, I finished the game at, uh, I want to say, around uh, 150 level, um, Mm -hmm. 130, 140 hours. Uh, and all of a sudden this, uh, let me solo her meme pops up <laughs> with mm-hmm. a boss called Melania. And I was like, I didn't even fight that boss. I feel so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I didn't even go to that area. Just I didn't know it existed. It's tucked away. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So yeah. stuff like that. I th- perfect example of mm-hmm. just things that you could skip or discover. I'm sure that even despite putting in well over a hundred hours, that there are many things that I missed. In that's this a game. that's a from thing as well. Yeah. Uh, paint, painted world, okay. Castle Kanehurst. As a developer, they are very confident, uh, uh, and they're 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 confident enough to put in some of their best content and hide it in such a way that not everybody's going to get to it. I mean, and that's some motivation to go back and play it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned second playthrough. I I beat the game once. Uh, I'm really kind of waiting for uh, my brother to get his internet sorted. He just moved. And then we plan to play through the game together. We're going to do a retch run uh, now that I feel a little (laughs) more prepared with the game. Um, So that should be fun. But I mean, multiple endings, multiple places to go, multiple things to explore. There certainly seems to be a lot of replayability here. And uh, somebody mentioned play styles and classes already. Um, starting classes. There are many. When I first picked up this game, I was like, I don't know what any of these stats mean. <laughs> I don't know the difference between faith and arcane. I don't know, you know, any of this stuff. So I actually tried every single class okay. uh, that you could start with for a few hours each to kind of just get the hang of what was going on and ended up settling on prisoner because I can't make up my dang mind. <laughs> so uh ended up running a mostly... Uh, pure intelligence um, build after I could respect and tried out some of the uh, dragon incantations and adored those, but stuck firmly with magic the whole time. Uh, I really appreciated on your podcast, gentlemen, that you mentioned you, you beat a, a specific 
boss that you were stuck on. I think that Cole, you were mentioning this um, and you beat them in a fairly, what might be considered cheesy sort of way. Uh, was that you Cole or was that Gary? I don't know how long ago you recorded. This Could have been both of us. Yeah. The, uh, okay. Or either of us. Yeah, we we both engaged in some cheese. So yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, you're, I believe you had said the game makes it available. It's in the game. Oh yeah. If it's in the uh, game, it's in the game. Yeah. And I totally agree. I mean, so I was stuck on, uh, was a Radagon for, um, <laughs> a long time. Oh yeah. Um, trying to do dragon incantations. Nah, that, uh, he's just too fast. And then Elden beast. I'm like, my mm. little legs cannot <laughs> catch up with this thing. <laughs> so I, uh, I actually ended up just kind of glitch cheesing it with Comet Azor. Yeah. Of, of, of course, um, ran up to Radagon, hit him twice with that thing. He didn't move. So I'm like, I'm going to hit you again, dude. <laughs> and I did it. And he went down mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, summon, uh, summon a summon for the second fight and get the aggro off of me, run up behind Elden Beast, couple of Comet Azores, boom, done. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I beat mm-hmm. this game and I will not hear anybody say, oh, you didn't beat the game. Oh, magic is easy mode. Oh. I mean, I've made jokes about magic being easy mode, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's cheating. I no. mean, it is it is what I would consider to be a great way to introduce somebody completely new to this stuff, to this world. Get it, that kind of buffer of ranged combat. It's it's absolutely apeshit that the discussion has moved towards that being considered maybe cheating. Like, I'm not, I'm not calling you out for that, but think no, about no, no, how yeah. weird it is <laughs> that this video game where you can be a, a mage, like, can you imagine sitting down to play D and D and somebody's like, Oh, you can't play that class. That, that class <laughs> is class. cheating, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, it is mind boggling. Yeah. They're, 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 it's really weird and chauvinistic and, and gatekeepy and stuff. And it, one of the you know we we've rallied against that forever that's been something that on our shows we get really irritated at and one of the the ways that it's most insidiously irritating to me is that i feel like it does not give from soft credit for their the design and elegance they go into or that they put into very intentionally making that spectrum that high high uh ceiling and low floor in terms yeah. of difficulty like that that took a lot of craft to do that, yeah. to, to make the game like, oh, I'm going to just do fist weapons and not block and never mm-hmm. summon. And it's going to be really damn hard. And I'm going to throw myself like waves on the beach, or I'm going to use common Azure and I'm going to summon my tankiest summon to draw aggro. I'm going to get through this boss. And I'm going to see more of the game after that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they both coexist and work together perfectly and neither approach takes anything away from the other approach. Like they're both available to you at any given time. Uh, I I varied from boss to boss, whether I was going to kind of cheese it, you know, or do like a slightly, I keep calling it cheesing it. I've internalized this, uh, this language about it, whether I was going to do an even <laughs> easier strategy or whether I was going to kind of uh, do a tougher strategy would vary from boss to boss. I got to pick my exact level of uh, how much resistance I wanted. And that took tons of craft. That is yeah. really good yes. game design. To, yes. to to make that available and the idea that like oh you didn't really do it you know they, they secretly want you just to to not summon you know that, that's the intended way <laughs> yeah that, that that's that's why they put all those in there they they spent the time making tons of hundreds of there are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah they they they, they did that it's reverse psychology uh yeah. just kindergarten playground bs yeah i mean yeah <laughs> you you have to you have to tell 
sort of the fringe elements, it seems like, because I've had really good interactions with the Souls community. I'm not deep into it because I've not played a ton of these, but like 98% positive, all of the interactions that I've had with fans of Elden Ring. Um, but those fringe elements, you got to tell them, like, I, I didn't invent mages in this game. I didn't also, invent mages like- at all. No, they, yeah. they invented themselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like, there was probably a, a master at one point and then an apprentice. It's a whole chicken and the egg situation. Yeah. I don't know where they came from, but that's not for me to determine. Yeah. Like, but but also like it just, oh, so you cheated. You uh, you rolled this mage. It's like, have you seen the stat requirements on Comet Azure? I had to get I had to get those levels. I had to go and get yeah, that spell yeah, uh, yep. as I'm rolling this. You know, even if I equip something else to make that spell more castable, um, that is a talisman slot that I can't use for something else that could have been used to make me more durable. Uh, have you ever cast Comet Azur? Because like you cast it for a little bit, like you maybe get one or two tries and then you're done. You're completely vulnerable when it happens. Like you have to mm-hmm. you have to learn how to use that uh, and you have to find the right time to fire it off. Like to say that you're taking that taking that tactic um has no trade-off no you know nothing nothing that you must do it's just an easy button um you know no that's actually yeah it's patently false it's patently false it's it's wrong and it's prizing one kind of play over the other and i won't see it happen boom you heard it here on this podcast folks yeah the overly kind of macho um swagger that some people be know, proud of could... other parts of yourself. <laughs> it's like, fine. Yeah. yeah. Give to charity and, so... and then feel good about it. Like, don't, don't, don't feel good about this. Like you, you, you could, you could help somebody's life. You can go right, give $5 yeah, to mean, somebody who's homeless. Like, don't feel good about this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maniac. <laughs> like, yeah, your, fa- your greatest achievement is beating Elden ring, like with melee weapons. It's time to get out more people. Yeah. Uh, so coming, dialing it back, I can tell we're all, all the three of us are very <laughs> passionate about that subject. Uh, I deal with fans and because uh, the red mage, right? Variety. Mm-hmm. And I play all kinds of games and there's all kinds of fans. I think that, you know, souls fans, they kind of get a reputation and certainly there's those fringe elements out there, but there are fringe elements pick a fandom there's a there's a fringe element for it for sure um but dialing in here to easy modes so like i said i was told well magic is the easy mode and i obviously you know i can use that tongue-in-cheek uh people can use that in a in an insulting sense um but it plays into the the topic of difficulty that we can kind of stick on here for a bit um, there's a statement here from live average gamer on Twitter who said difficulty settings have the problem of either trivializing the experience. The player thinks they're getting what they want, but hurting themselves in the process or creating difficulty in an unfun way, like raising stats. So here, now that I've finished Elden ring, I know people always say, why don't you just, you know, somebody told me, why don't they just slap an easy mode on this game? I don't know that they develop video games who said that to me, but I'm pretty sure they don't. Uh, I don't develop video games, but saying to any designer, why don't you just slap X, Y, Z on your creation? Seems like a great way to create a subpar product. Uh, 
if you're going to talk about easy modes, this was a discussion that we had on our Metroid Dread um, game. Why not? Why does it not have an easy mode? But I feel like coming back to what we're talking about, tools and agency and options, there are ways for the player to mess around with Elden Ring's uh, difficulty and the challenge that they experience but it's more than just going to a menu screen and ticking between whatever that pre-formatted normal, easy and hard is. And I really appreciate that about this game. So like two, um, two minds on, on that. Right. So like, I agree with you. I think that the, uh, there's tons of design and craft that goes into what from software does with Elden ring. And they also did that previously with like dark souls one and two quite a bit of letting the player kind of choose their own difficulty mode mm-hmm. i also think that uh just an option that makes enemies hit 20 percent less hard and have 20 percent less hp um that's on the thing doesn't really hurt anybody yeah um the thing in in lives response live average gamers response that i uh disagree with is the part where the player thinks they're getting what they want but they're hurting themselves um i want to flip a script on consumption in general where players have more agency and take more responsibility for knowing what they want and figuring it out. Um, so an example of that, so we have a, a friend, uh, named Jim who, uh, the, the gentleman behind uh, twin beard who did uh, frog fractions and stuff who plays these games, but does, is not a reflex gamer at all. So even with the uh, Elden Ring difficulty options that are inherent and built in, he went and modded it just to make it easy mode. And his fun that he's having with this and the value he's getting out of it is no less real than the value I got out of it. Um, Instead of getting to engage with these systems and this difficulty, he is seeing these new vistas and seeing these new story things and exploring and, you know, these games are too complicated and dense to be reduced down to just their mechanical uh, aspects. And if somebody wants to obviate that mechanical aspect in order to experience another part of it at their level of ability or their level of chosen friction, I have no problem with it. Um, I think that's good. You know, yeah. more options is better to me. It is not good game design to just have stats raised or lowered on a difficulty mode. And, you know, that's a bummer. But it, I, I can't. It's hard for me to think that there's anything wrong with people being able to ask, experience one part of a game while ignoring another part of it, if they want yeah. to. Yeah, you know? I think you're talking about uh, two things that I want to pull out here. I think you're well, three. I beg your pardon. <laughs> one <laughs> of them being fun is one of those subjective things, right? Uh, talking to people about a new game I just picked up, some people would be like, "This is the greatest." you know, in its category, this generation. And then other people say, I found it boring. Mm -hmm. Boring and fun are just really those just really subjective experiences. And so when people say, I find it boring, I'll ask why. Because there might be a reason that is not going to be a reason for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to address there is uh, you're talking about people modding the game uh, to create what they want to see there, right? And in this case, a scaling uh, difficulty setting that you can just tick. I think that that's different from demanding that de- the developer or designer put that there. Mm-hmm. I can be, I think, <laughs> I could be for the modder 
who is affecting this game in such a way that it heightens their experience with it, but not necessarily before demanding the designer change their explicit vision of this game to cater to an audience that they may not necessarily want to cater to. Does that make I, sense? It, it makes, it makes sense. It's something that, uh, like I, I, I understand that perspective completely. I think that the, mm-hmm. the operative word in that is demand, Yeah, you yeah. know, or like the, you know, nobody can demand anything of developers when people say like we'd like an easy mode for something they're just saying i think this piece of art would be better if they did that mm-hmm. you know there's no uh, we have no power over from right. from from's gonna from, i think i think know. people would like to have that power boycotting <laughs> and that sort of thing yeah, yeah i've never seen a boycott work yet so <laughs> no, with, with this kind of thing it certainly won't and from has their audience like they don't yeah. need yes. to worry about about this kind of thing. But I think about, um, so when I think about intended experience, right. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've gotten really into in recent years is very modular, uh, difficulty options. Um, looking at games like Celeste or looking at games like Teardown or darkest dungeon, where it's down to individual things you can turn off and on. And the way that those games get around that is when you go to those menus, there's a message from the developer that says, Hey, the default settings are what we think would yeah. be the, the intended experience. But if you disagree, that's okay. And yeah. I think that's, that just feels like a healthier attitude towards me. Like, I don't think that, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a thin line between like confidence and arrogance and confidence. I really like where it's like, we're hiding, you know, there's tons of content here. We don't care if you miss it. We're not going to hold your hand through this whole thing. Take it as it is. But when it comes down to people just in, you know, wanting to experience different parts of this, you know, so somebody can do that as a mod for that, but that's an extra hoop they have to jump through uh, for this. If from had been like, this is our intended way of experiencing it. But if you want to do something different, that's okay. I wouldn't think less of them for that. I think that's like basically virtuous. I don't demand that they do it. I don't think they should get in trouble for not doing it. But I think that is, is generally a good thing to do. Right. There's that distinction again, like you're saying, keyword demand. I don't think they should get in trouble for doing it. You're not out to defame them for doing so. Um, But yeah, if they were to include that, it would be interesting. You mentioned jumping through a hoop. Somebody's going to have to jump through that hoop then, right? Yeah. Whether whether it's them or whether it's the, the modder. exactly and and you know to your point earlier when you were saying like why don't you just slap it's nothing is easy you know about game development like there's no slapping but yeah where that's not (laughs) also though as as an appreciator of art or as a critic or somebody who now analyzes it that's not our problem you know like we're we're not here to uh manage them or monday morning quarterback how they would use their resources we're here to Mm -hmm. say what would make the best game like what would mm-hmm. what would make this the best so like i still think it is a fair and valid take to say like elden ring has all these built-in really elegant difficulty options if there was a little you know enemies are 20 percent less hardy button on the screen i'm not going to worry about how you know from's development time to make that like that's again yes it, it does cost stuff there's a opportunity cost there it's not my purview you know, I do think the game would be probably better with that. I wouldn't use it. I was very happy with how, how it was, but yeah. I think other people who would use that, who would be able to see more of the game and get more value out of it. Uh, I want them to have that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll it'll sound like I'm coming down very hard on a word choice, but I I want to I want to say it. like it, it. I don't see it as up to me to decide whether or not that 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 hurts them, um, whether or not they're aware that it, that it is. I don't I don't think that it's I, I don't I don't think that that is the, the 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 scale that we're operating on. You know, if somebody decides to hit the enemies are more fragile and have more hardy button that you know it doesn't it doesn't take anything away from them that is necessarily appreciable i don't see that as a as a it's not for me to put the value on that yeah yeah like it's up to them to decide how valuable that is it's not for me to decide you know to patronize to be like Mm -hmm. you know oh you would you think you're having fun doing it this way but boy you don't know true fun unless you you do it this way that's that feels like another way of doing that you have to use melee only right Uh, it's the attitude i don't like not just the degree that the attitude is uh, deployed. Yeah. There seems to be a general gist of this is the way to play these games. Um, and modding definitely introduces a whole new uh, perspective on ways to enjoy these games. And I think that's exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, love mods. Yeah. I wish, I wish that people who were on consoles could get to use them. Uh, cause I, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. Like yeah, no. we, we did a whole series <laughs> on like dark souls, randomizer, um, mods and, you know, new content mods. Uh, like if, if, you know, I think that everybody, if they have the opportunity should check those out because people are doing really cool stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I beg your pardon. I laugh because I, I, I'd been on consoles for like 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of my perspective on mods are those that will make the rounds and go viral. Yeah. You know, here's a sexy character mod. And I'm like, <laughs> is, this, is this all they do on PC? <laughs> and then I get a PC and I realize, oh, okay, you can actually like really fundamentally start to play around with these games well past, you know, just skins. Giving Crash um, Bandicoot gigantic breasts. <laughs> which is the main reason we we do mods yeah, on the twist. Right. Don't, don't get it twisted that's yeah. mostly the kind of party we're having over here sometimes we do something as a, as a as a as a as a former console peasant <laughs> exclusively that was the vibe that that viral media would give off <laughs> and unfairly as probably most viral media is unfairly so uh so yeah, experiencing just the variety of mods out there. Unfortunately, uh, I do not have Elden Ring on PC, um, so I didn't have that luxury this time around. But uh, if I double dip, man, there's mm-hmm. some good stuff out there. Definitely, I'm I mean, sure I, there I will be. A, oh yeah, um, still creating new content. A couple more comments here on difficulty. Airy Channel TV said, "I'm glad that Elden Ring is much more lenient thanks to its open world setting." Metal Biako, I think it also kind of forces people to think outside the box. Instead of just hitting things, you can also attack them from afar or using your consumables and all kinds of other stuff. It does give the players the opportunity to use their smarts instead of only their reflexes. Uh, This is a statement that I had to ask for a little more clarity on. Um, And I think a lot of these, you know, I'm finding it interesting how... Um, some of your answers are playing to addressing these questions again, as someone who is not familiar with a lot of these games, I feel like you're catching a lot of things that I'm missing. So I, again, I was like, I, I don't really know what you mean here. This is from cheap 
either. From games in general are about removing a degree of agency from the player through purposeful design limitations. Where Elden Ring goes too far is in its balance or lack thereof. Players are not incentivized, rewarded. Outcomes at level 100 and 150 can be identical. Is there anything like, eh, if that was a hier- hieroglyph, how would you interpret that? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, I didn't know whether you wanted us to parse it out. <laughs> uh, I, I think I know uh, what the first and last sentence mean is where yes. I, I can kind of get this. You know, the idea that uh, from games are very famous when he's when this person says uh, removing degrees of agency uh, from the player. It is uh, what they do is they will make you commit to animations in a way that is not very uh, stylish right now. Um, you will commit to uh, to level ups in a way that is not very stylish. Usually things like that. Um, you know, you don't have quest markers. Uh, you don't have that agency. These things that, that are kind of niceties that games typically give you from or move. Uh, and there is an element of their design that is about pruning stuff like that. I always feel like that discussion uh, doesn't spend enough time talking about the things that they add uh, to that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think that, that that's true. And then uh, the idea that there is not enough in the mid and high level game of Elden Ring, there is not a lot of uh, difference. You know, like between level 100 and 150, there's not a lot of additional strategies that are available. Um, it definitely narrows and tapers, but I don't necessarily think that they're, you know, they're identical. Um, I think it, it, you know, stats make a difference. Those extra levels will make a difference. Uh, if you're playing a caster, you're using a lot of cool, powerful stuff you couldn't use before. If you're having extra vitality, your tanking hits, you would not be able to take. It doesn't make as big a difference as the levels between, you know, 20 and 30, but it does make a difference. I don't know what the middle is talking about with the players are not incentivized rewarded, uh, because of the lack of balance. Um, unless that just means, you know, not rewarded for those levels between 100 and 150. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain. I definitely, um, uh, I feel like the talking about the game being overbalanced, um, so much so that it ends up feeling kind of unbalanced or wonky. That is a criticism. I would more level at like dark souls three, something that is much more clearly designed for, uh, for like a multiplayer, uh, kind of experience, you know, for, in, for invasion and, uh, things like that. Um, I, so I don't understand applying that to, uh, to, you know, to Elden Ring, um, you know, the, the, the lack of balance. I generally, this is just my, my opinion. I think that balance tends to make things less, less fun. Um, and somebody might get burned by that if they decide to throw a bunch of resources into, I think this weapon looks cool, but then it turns out that it is, you know, not the most powerful. It's not the one that is broken. Um, you know, and so I have to, you know, see that investment as wasted or go do something else. I think that the fact that Elden Ring has those pressure uh, releases put in by way of very easy respects gets rid of that, um, gets rid of that concern, uh, to, to a large degree. So I, I, I like the fact that, um, you know, experimentation itself is incentivized by making commitment cheap. Bifrost Bridge Studios is the creative architect behind the Gaia's Seed graphic novel universe, blending artificial intelligence, neurodiversity, and science fiction. Bifrost, a transmedia company, has now turned its focus towards Patreon, looking to beef up its crowdfunding campaign through digital and physical rewards, up to and including original custom retro gaming hardware. 
Bifrost has been a real boss supporting and sponsoring the Wednesday giveaways that I do weekly on stream at twitch.tv forward slash the well-read mage. If you're looking for more of that sweet, sweet gold, check out patreon.com forward slash Bifrost Bridge Studios. Link in the description. Well, let's move out of uh, the heavier topic of difficulty into perhaps something just slightly lighter. Bosses. Uh, I really thought the bosses were great in this game. They all felt, uh, for the most part, they all felt, I, I would say, uh, like these great just centerpieces of, of action and, uh, duct tape plays here. What do you think the hardest boss you fought was? Mine was probably Margaret the fell fight. It all felt easier after that, the whole way to the end. Uh, I do have to say, you know, talking about just different ways that people play these games and different paths through these games, uh, duct tape plays, I know finished Elden Ring in like 50 hours. Oh, wow. Mm. I spent like three times as much time <laughs> on this game. Uh, so completely different experiences. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were things he missed that, that, uh, that I found and things he found that I missed. So there's, there's definitely many ways to play this. Um, but hardest boss for you, oh, man, I had a really big problem. Uh, it's not it's not one boss. Uh, the very end. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons why it ended up taking so long for me to uh, actually finish the game uh, was the one two punch of Radigan and uh, the Elden Beast actually oh, yeah. uh yeah. not because individually either of those fights is especially especially terrible i think radigan is actually uh, an incredibly good fight that is very well balanced i love i love his move set um mm -hmm. i think he has just the right amount of hp just the right amount of aggression it's actually very good uh i just don't like that it is a mandatory two phase you have to beat radigan and then have enough left in the tank to go after Elden Beast, which is a completely different kind of, you know, kind of fight. Uh, I like it less than Radigan. I think it is a worse, it, it is a worse boss uh, fight. I don't like that kind of, you know, it teleports away and you have to chase it around while avoiding its attacks. I feel like it's a little bit too much, a little bit too reliant on instant death. Um, and man, this is something that I definitely thought was true in, uh, Dark Souls 3 DLC and majorly wish it was true in, in, in Sekiro, but boy, that two phase, you gotta be one bus and then the other, um, in a row in order to succeed kind of made that last boss encounter, that dual boss, uh, really, really sting for me in a way that like Melania, which is more technically demanding, uh, did not sting. I can wholeheartedly agree with that. I remember getting the Elden Beast the first time. I'm thinking, I'm going to have to beat Radigan again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Then to get a game over. Many times. Sure enough. Mm -hmm. Sure enough. Which introduces a whole new dynamic of difficulty, right? Because yep. now you're looking at endurance. You're looking at spreading out your your precious resources instead of just kind of throwing everything you have yeah. at that first battle. Definitely. Uh, what about you, Gary? Most difficult. Uh, you know, in retrospect, certainly not the most difficult, but just the one that I uh, bounced off of the hardest was Radon. Uh, I beat Radon in both forms, like both pre-patch and then in the easy mode patch. Uh, <laughs> I have not done a third time with the uh, the readjusted balance, but uh, I bounced Radon off Radon so hard that I went and did basically everything else you can do in the game. <laughs> uh, you know, not every, literally everything, because you can beat the game without being Radon. But I went and and gained fifty levels 
before I came back. Uh, I had such a hard time with that. And it was just a way that uh, my brain worked. You know, uh, the second time when I went back and was playing a caster was a lot easier. Um, But as a melee fighter, uh, I was just, I could not handle getting one shot quite that often. Um, It's also a huge problem with Elden Beast. You know, I don't know how anybody avoids the Elden Stars attack uh, for the entire thing. Um, but the, uh, generally bosses to me are good or fine if they can't one shot me and are the worst thing in the world. If they can one shot me, uh, I hate being one shot in a game. <laughs> Doesn't feel good. Which is why uh, I didn't do that big optional dragon. <laughs> yeah. I haven't uh, fought a uh, Placidus X yet. Yeah. have not um, fought Placidus or I, I, I tried it. I haven't beaten Placidus X. Yeah. Well, they gave it a boss run. Like somebody yeah. on the staff still really <laughs> likes these boss runs. And I don't yeah. understand why uh, yeah. we haven't evolved out of that yet. So it take, it's a pain to get the placidus axe yeah. uh, every time. And, and, which I, is a shame because yeah. it's so fun to say placidus axe. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what and a name. I, <laughs> yeah. And I did. I fought the lich dragon, which was uh, no problem. You know, so I'm I, yeah. I, doing, the, doing the optional bosses slowly, but placidus axe is still on the list. Yeah. Placidus axe. Optional bosses. Really <laughs> liked. Uh, he had to say it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just rolls off the tongue. Uh, I optional bosses. I really liked the uh, blah, Lord of Blasphemy. What was his name? Riker. Yeah. 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 That's a good fight. What a what a cool <laughs> fight. <Yeah. laughs> Let me tell you, people were like, "Magic's easy mode." You try fighting that thing with just magic. I couldn't use the that giant spear for the life of me. I've got like two strength. That was not working out. I had a respec for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, really, really fun fight. Uh, for me, the hardest boss was Margit, um, right there at the start of the game. And that is because I was the least prepared for any boss fight. Yeah. Right there at the start of the game. Didn't know what I was doing. Uh, he also is fought on like the tiniest little causeway mm-hmm. with sheer cliffs on either side. There's junk all over the place, spears and, and wooden things. And, his huge swiping freaking he's so staff. hard yeah, he yeah. is tough yeah he's a tough boss right at the beginning i really respect kind of that trope though of like putting that uh that wall of expectations up at the beginning and just telling somebody right at the start of the game this is what this game's going to be about yeah so if you can't get past this you're not going to enjoy the rest of the game um but pushing through that felt really good i mean when i did finally beat him it felt amazing. Since then, uh, thinking about replaying this game, he's probably the biggest reason why I don't want to replay this game. <laughs> you might surprise yourself. You really might. I might, yeah. You know, I did when uh, when he comes back as Margot uh, or Morgot. Um, I one shot that guy. I was like, <laughs> heck, <laughs> freaking yeah! Eat all this comet Azor right to the face. Yes. So that was a lot of that was a lot of fun. Um, Yemi the ferret asked, just finished the game yesterday. Besides some reused bosses for dungeons, I had a great time with it. Also, I had the most problems with Malaketh, uh, but we all know the true hardest boss is the Soldier of Godric. Dun dun dun! I don't remember the Soldier of Godric. He's he's the guy down in the pro tip pit. Oh. Uh, yeah, the the one that teaches you about guard counters. Yeah, that's he, right. He prepares you for Soldier of Godric duo later. <laughs> that you have you to go. fight. Yeah. The yeah, unsung um, hardest boss in the game. The puppet master behind everything that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so while, while Margaret, I just remember this, while Margaret kind of to- told me, Hey, this is what this game is going to be about. 
Um, I got to the boss of Stormvale Castle. Do you remember his name? Godric the Grafted, was it? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so fighting him, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting stuck on this guy. And I'm like, all right, all right. Really love the dragon arm thing. I'm like, okay. There's a lot of theatricality here. Love it. And uh, I blow through my magic, blow through my, you know, magic reserves, all that stuff. And I'm like, I've got a bow and arrow. So I start fighting with the bow and arrow and he gets stuck behind a hillside um, where every time he would try and step out from behind the hillside because I'm pegging him with arrows, he would roll back behind the hillside. Mm-hmm. And so I've got this video that I saved because I was like, this is delicious <laughs> that he just he just kept taking all these arrows and rolling back <laughs> and taking more arrows, rolling back. And when I beat him, I was like, suck it, Godric. I don't care. I don't care that, <laughs> that, you know, this is not how I was supposed to beat you, but I will absolutely accept this victory after losing to you a couple of times. And so that also showed me kind of what this game is about as well. Yeah. Take every opportunity. Yeah. You, you, what she received as a gift. The only thing that would have been better is if you walked in and his model was deep posing. Like <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Beautiful. Uh summons 20 <laughs> or 220 Stan said, What's your favorite summon? And why is it the jellyfish? Uh mine's not the jellyfish. Yeah. Aurelia's uh, great. I, I mean mm-hmm. that jellyfish is very sweet. Did you do the jellyfish quest line? I don't think I used it at all. I have the jellyfish shield, which I was like, yo, a jellyfish is a shield. That's pretty cool. That's also real good. Yeah, uh, I suck with the clone uh, most of the time because I was like, two of me, I love myself. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Clone's great. I, I always want to give, because the clone and, and Black Knife Tish get all the uh, the credit. I always yeah. want to throw out a little extra love to my to Lutel the Headless. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. Lutel the Headless for, like, is like the great. first half of the game. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, really tanky, teleports around, doesn't have a head. <laughs> uh, everything you want. <laughs> it's in the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I love that hawk. I forget the name of the hawk you can get, but the summonable hawk uh, that uh, it's not very tanky, doesn't do a lot of damage. But if you're looking for something that uh, doesn't get in the way and confuses the enemy AI, um, mm. boy, have I got a summon for you. Uh, and if we're talking like early on, uh, the skeletal militia can seem uh, underwhelming yeah. at first uh, compared to the three wolves, the three lone wolves, uh, the oxymoron. Uh, but the fact that uh, when they die, they can keep coming back uh, makes that deceptively powerful. Uh, so if somebody is struggling early on, I would recommend giving that a, a second chance. Definitely. Definitely. And shout out to the weenie summons. I mean, the wolves <laughs> carried me for yeah, a little yeah. while. You know? I, I love the, the, uh, were good. the nobles that you can get the first time when you get five of them and you just roll up to the, you know, roll up to the club. <laughs> With like five of your closest friends, and it's these desiccated morons just stumbling around. (laughs) Desiccated morons. Beautiful. Beautifully put. Uh, Multiplayer. So uh, I'll be honest, fellas. Okay. Um, Elden Ring's multiplayer. I bought this game um, partially, I mean, really because I was really interested in it. Everything that I saw of it, I was like, this looks beautiful. It looks fascinating. It looks like something I would want out of a a solo open world experience. And then I find out there's multiplayer and I was like, oh, sign me up. I know other players who are going to be playing it. Um, And then I tried multiplayer and I was like, what? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was told by the fans 
ah, this is how it's always been. You just got to accept it. You'll learn yeah. to love it. And I felt like that was such a cop out. That was the first time I felt betrayed by the Souls community. <laughs> I was like, you're just going to tell me to accept this? So if there's an Elden Ring 2, if there's DLC, whatever, if they make another game, uh, I'm really looking for a more mm, streamlined multiplayer experience i was confused by all that like which body part do i have to hold up now is it a finger is it a clavicle mm. a femur <laughs> like what what is going on and then you got to draw the sign on the floor and then you got to go through multiple load screens and you got to do it again if you die on the and so i was getting frustrated with multiplayer yeah. that to me and i again i adored elden ring that to me was the one thorn in its side that i could not abide by the multiplayer uh, did you two play this game together at all? No, uh, no, we, no. we, okay. we never do that. I, I, uh, our schedules don't match up very well. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, but in general, I mean, I don't, uh, so part of the, the tricky thing is that it is a very specific kind of multiplayer mm -hmm. in, uh, in from soft games. Like they're not co-op games without tons of irritating hoop jumping. I think that they're meant to, you know, you call in a stranger for when you need help. And then maybe another stranger will come and try to kill you mm -hmm. is the idea. Uh, even describing them like they do them. I'm not trying to invalidate your, your critique of it because I think oh, you're, sure. you're correct. Yeah. Uh, I think just describing it as multiplayer is too general. You yeah. know, it's yeah. a very specific and very limited form of multiplayer. Uh, that is their, their cottage little corner of, of how they like to do it. And I never even thought about playing this for the first time, expecting it to be like a multiplayer video game. I was just like, oh, it's going to work like souls. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. This is, this is yeah. how this works. Uh, if I had different expectations, I'd be. Yeah. With no pre extant, uh, expectations and just kind of knowing from, you know, literature trailers, people talking, I totally thought it was a co-op game. You guys, I thought I could get out of that first grave and just roll on in with friends and it'd be like, friggin monster hunter or something from is very bad sometimes they've gotten better and they've changed their approach but generally they lag behind i think in clearly explaining uh the systems in their games interesting i mean so now i know and i can i could definitely appreciate what it's for somebody had told me well it kind of preserves the balance of the game and that you can't just you know everywhere just hang out with somebody who's just going to steamroll yeah. through the game um, and I was like, I, I can see that that's, that's, that's understandable. And I can, again, I can appreciate that this is the specific vision, uh, but do not, if you're listening to this and you have not played Elden Ring, do not expect it to be <laughs> this, this soaring co-op experience. Uh, I ran through Stormvale and fought Margaret with, uh, with a friend and that was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a shame when it has to end and then, you know, yeah. um, or another deal. It was like. You know, if they're if I summoned them to my world, I think it was we run through Stormville, then they still have to do it again yep. in their world. Yep. Um, uh, I was like, does anybody want to do this twice? I don't know. This is a big <laughs> castle. It's real so. silly. Like I, I've done a most of a Dark Souls one playthrough trying to do it co-op and just doing every area twice and everything. It it's not how it wants you to do it. It doesn't mean you can't. It doesn't mean that there's no fun to be had there, but it's it puts up tons of resistance yeah. to that approach. Mm -hmm. Here's a, here's a statement from true AJC on Twitter. My question is one of those tough ones that needs to be asked. No jokes for once. Generally, 
curious to hear, despite the understanding that the Souls series is focused mainly on the single player experience, you managed to tack on the multiplayer, thankfully, but it's unstable, counterintuitive, and limited. Why not fix its issues? There's a clear demand for its improvement. And Gavro Neiman said, I largely ignore the multi and from games. Sometimes it's fun. Mostly, like you said, it's about the single player experience for me. Uh, so the question I would put forward to you two is, do you see future FromSoft games making a more, uh, for lack of a better word, like robust multiplayer experience? Or is this kind of going to be the specific design choice for multiplayer in these games? And that's just the lineage. I, I mean, I would love to see them tackle like a design to be co-op experience um, yeah. just because of curiosity, you know, like it'd be fun to wish cast and see what they do with it. Um, I think that they have a very specific thing they're going for with this. Uh, yeah. It doesn't excuse it again. It doesn't mean that it's not uh, something can be inadequate, but not broken. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, this is something that is not as good as it could be for a pure co-op expression but i think it's a hundred percent intentional that it's the yes. way that it is so i i don't know what their impetus would be to change it like the players who like doing multiplayer and uh doing like fight clubs and setting things up like that just have acqui you know kind of adjusted to it uh and our system Yes. Yeah. They, they were the reeds that bent in the wind, you know, rather than vice versa. I don't know whether from's like really incentivized to do it unless they're kind of like artistically, they, they decide they're interested in it. Yeah. Um, which isn't, which isn't a good answer. Like it's not, uh, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't really answer the question and it doesn't, uh, you know, but I don't know. I, I don't, I think that they yeah. like it this way yeah. and I like it this way yeah. because I don't do multiplayer in video games really. Yes. So right. you know, I don't have a dog in the fight. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, you're not a, you're not a prophet. There's no <laughs> way you can know, you know how they're going to be playing these things out or anything. That's a realistic answer. Uh, what, I mean, Cole, what do you think? I'm Is just, this... I'm always on the lookout for monkey's paws, you know, like I could say like, yeah, they should make a, like, okay, they, they could make a dark souls game or, you know, Elden, Elden ring. That's a hard habit to break. They could make a game like this that is designed for co-op, but I've, played those i've played uh remnant from the ashes i've played ashen those are different studios but it is very clear to see when you play those um what concessions were made in order to um you know make the experience designed for co-op you know to you know to, mm. to, 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 to to handle that experience right it's from would not necessarily have to make those compromises. They could actually make something that would be Goldilocks, but I would not want to trade the kind of experience that we got with multiplayer with its admittedly limited and situational take on multiplayer. I wouldn't want to trade that, uh, trade the good stuff away in order to get, in order to get, you know, something that would be more similar to, to, to those because while they had some of their charms, uh, ultimately, uh, I think that the, co you know, what they traded away for the co-op, they didn't necessarily get a good deal on it. Right. Yeah. Do you guys remember, uh, when Reggie fils former president of Nintendo of America in a video quit his job and put a kid in charge in his <laughs> position? And the kid was like, this is a true story. And the kid was like, 
how about we make a video game where you can do anything? <laughs> and there's a reason why that game does not exist. Concessions, compromises, like yeah. you're saying, Cole. Uh, you can't just have every. You're telling me, Cole, that I can't have everything. Can I, can I point you to the collective output of ooh, the game designer Peter Molyneux? It, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, like, do you want Molyneux? This is how you get Molyneux. That, that's I, how you guarantee yourself a Molyneux. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Story here. Oh, we got to start wrapping up. We're not going to get through a bunch of story, you know, and I wanted to ask you guys, I'd be like, what is Elden Ring about? <laughs> but that was kind of how I felt uh, in maybe to kind of bookend this this conversation. That was how I felt when I first finished Elden Ring. I was like, what the heck does it mean? Felt like Rock Hudson walking out of 2001 A Space Odyssey. What does it mean? <laughs> but letting it kind of sit and reading up a little bit peripheral literature and that sort of thing. I think I got a better sense of it. Uh, I know for sure that the twin fingers are NATO, right? (laughs) (laughs) So you caught me off guard with that. It's intriguing. Yeah. Chewing on that for a second. (laughs) But no, this the concept that, you know, this world is at the mercy of these, these multiple deities that really don't care or are malevolent. And uh, there's all kinds of fragile history that's happened and things are, things have been ruined and crushed. And uh, you got Lovecraftian horrors going on here. I read somebody was like, oh man, the, the tree is a, the tree is a parasite from space. And I was like, there's so much, there's so much. It's in a general sense, these games are almost always about like upsetting a status quo. Yeah. There's just as like, there's, there's a cycle or there's a system and it seems good, but it's not good. And somebody from within or without that system decides to flip the table. Yeah. Uh, and then because ever all the players in it are messy bees who live for drama, uh, <laughs> it get, turns into an, an absolute apocalyptic horror show. Yeah. Uh, that happens in most of the games in some, some uh, sense. Interesting. And I think that, you know, the, the, that's really one what I wanted to hear from you guys is uh, what is Elden Ring about? It's not about this guy that has like ears all over his armor. No. It's not about this guy that's riding on a tiny, tiny pony. <laughs> it's <laughs> not about some, you know, cosmic, entity that you know fell down into the underground city and became some kind of weird nebulous scorpion (laughs) it is not about all of those things but i think at its heart it's about something real specific and that i think you really nailed it there yeah um because your 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 player character and going back to the idea of the the open world format i think this really serves that your player character is not somebody who you know has this great arc, this sweeping arc and has all this character development because they're just kind of there. They're like that player avatar. Um, But you get to experience the world as it is. And what it's about is seems to be that, that kind of uh, disruptioning, disrupting the, the old ways, the system. Yeah. There's a, there's a vacuum and we see the things are in terrible disarray and the inclination would be the old status quo is there, but by seeing the game through to the end, and especially by looking at, uh, you know, some of the optional stuff, 
you see that um, there were costs associated with the status quo that uh, it seems like you're trying to restore by, you know, putting the Elden Ring back together and reestablishing the, the, the golden order. Um, you know, what the, the kingdom and structure that, um, um, oh gosh, what's her name? <laughs> the, the, the God, uh, the, 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 the lady. Yeah, America. There we go. Oh. Sorry, I got I got lost in the M names there for a second, and I couldn't <laughs> I, I couldn't get out of that cycle. Yeah, uh, putting together what America, um, you, you know, was attempting to, you know, what she rolled over, right? And mm-hmm. you, know, you know, specifically with like side quests by following Fia's quest, by following uh, Ronnie's quest, uh, things like that. You get to see the potential alternatives, learn about their philosophies, and kind of make that choice about. You know w- what is going to you know re-inhabit uh, this uh, this vacuum that has been left, and understanding that all of them are going to have costs, right? Um, and at the end, you are going to have to make the decision. Yeah. And what I like about that too is it's well, at least it seemed to me to be less about uh, oh, you're good versus evil. This yeah. is yeah. just an ugly world where a ton of ugly things have happened, and ugly things will continue to happen. And I appreciated that the game kind of asks you questions about that. Like, what do you want to do here? Do you want to commit blasphemy and burn this tree down? And I was like, oh, gosh, do I? I'm gonna, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to to get inside there and fix this. But it's like, you know, there's nothing inherently like evil or wrong about the, the world that Fia wants to usher in. It looks bad and uncomfortable because it's got skeletons and stuff but like you know <laughs> you there is a ass and comfortable as hell <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> yeah you know like j- just because it is you know it is something that we have decided to call the destined death or the true you know this the, this new version of death doesn't necessarily mean that it is undesirable compared to you know what ronnie wants which is to open the sky and let fall what may you know to let the moon rain right yeah, and that ends up if you go back uh, and play the other games, right? It's, it's it'll be really interesting to see how you land on them in terms of like cosmology and story, because I feel like they all do that. Yes, uh, they all are about choosing uh, how to spiral out of this uh, this cycle or the status quo, and none of them. Uh, one of the things I think that Lorsters do about this that I think is kind of a bummer is they will, you know, as gamers, as as people who. Uh, are used to playing meritocracies we're trained to try to find the good uh ending like what is the best one you know and a, mm-hmm. and, and a lifetime of video games have set things up like that like you do all the secret stuff and you get the golden ending where everyone's happy uh these games don't mess around with that like they don't really do that you get a series of interesting question marks and you get to decide which question mark you like best but you you don't know what happens next there's no ha- happily ever after and that's great like I, that is something that really draws me to these. Like you get to make these decisions between these different shades of gray, uh, with no clear right answer. That's very much by intent. Interesting. And that seems to be, I think some of that definitely plays into the, the endings here. Um, I did not find out there were multiple endings until like right about when I was ready to beat this game. <laughs> and then I kind of scrambled a little bit. You know, along those lines, uh, what you just described. Okay, well, which one's the good ending, right? Because <laughs> there's always the good ending, and then there's the bad endings. Bad endings where people sad. Good ending <laughs> mm-hmm. where people happy. But 
it's hard to envision people being happy in, in the Elden Ring universe. No. Uh, so I finished the game and I got a, was it the, the default ending? Um, and I was like, okay, um, sure. I'm Elden Lord now and I shall rule with an iron fist. And, and that was the end of it. No. Um, but going back and exploring kind of, uh, the other endings I think would be really valuable. Uh, which ending did, did y'all get first? Uh, I accidentally did the frenzied flame ending the first time I was trying to do the Ronnie ending, uh, but did not realize I wouldn't have a choice at the end and instead turn into a gigantic fireball headed monster and destroy the world <laughs> uh, completely on accident. So. <laughs> Could be worse. Yeah. Could be way worse. Who's yeah, to say that's bad. Raining. <laughs> <laughs> um, for fire. <laughs> I was I was aiming for the Ronnie ending, but for some reason I didn't get whatever you needed to uh, to activate it. So I fell into the um, Elden Lord ending by default. From John Cheatham, one question for the BSC lads: Have either of you messed around with New Game Plus, and if so, what are your thoughts on it? Personally, I liked how it lets you play a seven to ten hour highlight reel version of this one hundred hour open world game because you're already on par with the difficulty curve. So, and you, somebody said it, you're on your second run. Have you beaten the game twice through yet? Either of you? I, I'm at the end with my second run through. I have okay. to beat uh, Placidus Axe and Melania and then the uh, final gauntlet of bosses, kind of Malakathon. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting there because I don't want to turn the capital into the Ashen Capital yet in case yeah. I want to go back there and explore. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where I stalled, it, stalled out and I kind of half started a, uh, a third playthrough. Uh, to, you know, to refresh my memory for the show and stuff just to poke at, uh, but that's been slow going. Yeah, I see. I'm just in new game plus, um, from my, um, uh, initial playthrough. Uh, and that is to get through and see the contents of different areas to make notes for the show. Cause you know, we do the initial rush to beat the game and see all of it. And then we structure the individual areas, uh, or the episodes around individual areas. I see. Hey, you ever meet those people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm on New Game Plus 16. I'm like, where do you find the time? <laughs> we have them in our community. I, I, really? I wish them well. <laughs> that is that is epic dedication right there. Oh. Um, I'm too much of a novelty. Like, I always want to just try a new build. Yeah. You know, mm. uh, rather than do a, do a New Game Plus. I almost never do New Game Plus in these games. Uh, so here, as we move towards the end of this conversation, uh, just a bit about the future of Elden Ring. Uh, you know, so they did Dark Souls and then they did Dark Souls 2. Uh, Dark Souls 3. Do you expect us to see an Elden Ring 2? Um, will there be Elden Ring DLC? A question from Oodles Odim, who said, do we think there will be DLC for this game? And if so, will it be complimentary add-on stuff? like how Sekiro tweaked the game with a few modes, or are we expecting a huge Dark Souls 2-style release of incredible new stories? Uh, I think that we will have a DLC for it that will have new content, and I think that we will have... uh, I think the chances are very good that there's a sequel. That's not an artistic argument. Uh, It's that this game is the most successful game they've done, and it printed money. Um, So I think it's very likely that they will uh, do either a direct like spiritual successor or a sequel to it. And uh, DLC wise, I mean, there's a lot of things that just hit your from dar. Like, <laughs> ah, man, we've never actually seen Mikella though. 
Winner of Michaela <laughs> fights like uh, that makes it seem like there's probably going to be a DLC of some kind. Yeah. You know, what, what is Moog's dynasty? Like we didn't get a whole lot of information about what that means. You know, yeah. there, there's a lot of uh, blank spots where they could put in content and they're economically incentivized to do so. Um, a lot of people uh, who talked to who have been like, no, the, you know, this should probably be from final statement on this type of game. Um, I, I don't think it will be whether it should be or right. not is, is, you know, I could understand the argument for it, but I don't think it will be yeah. uh, too much money. I like that. I, I feel basically the same way. I feel like DLC is likely um, the fact that we haven't seen it announced just yet makes me wonder if um, their ideas for the DLC might better be uh, put into whatever sequels coming out. Um, you know, by this point, I think we had already gotten an announcement about the uh, three crowns DLCs for, for dark souls too. Um, so, you know, every passing week where we don't get a DLC announcement makes it feel more likely uh, that it's going to be something a little bit more uh, mechanical uh, than story uh, than story wise. But I cannot see I cannot envision a world in which from does not continue to do something with this setting. And if they if they did the Sekiro approach where they just uh, added new modes and stuff like that, uh, again, this is not an artistic argument. It's an economic one uh, that was free. Uh, yep. I think they, they will do something that you can charge for because they have this huge base of people mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah. You know, totally could see that happening. Well, here we've got a few final questions uh, and folks, you listening, you're like, I didn't get to ask a question. Well, check out my Twitter at the Walred mage where I announce the topics for each mage cast episode in advance. You can also email me as well at the mage at gmail.com. Uh, next episode in true spirit of the variety of this show, we talk about dance, dance revolution, Mario mix. Oh, wow. <laughs> I kid Deep you pole. the heck not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys want to talk about lore <laughs> <laughs> dance, dance revolution, Mario mix. So look forward to that folks. I'll see you then. Uh, final questions here. Ben Magnet 27 says, as of now, this game is my game of the year. Some of my reasoning goes to how badly I want to play it, meaning I get chores and tasks done sooner or quicker so I can get so I can go back to playing. I do know the game has some flaws, but to me, they're minuscule compared to how much fun I'm having. And finally, Carrie 86 says, I just want to ask you, what do you think about the hype about this game that so many people said this is a game of the year without playing it before? Or that we haven't even reached the end of the year at all. To say that this is a game of the year is, for me personally, too much too early. Uh, Carrie, our good friend from Germany there, yeah. asking a question. So um, just, I guess, to, to put it to you guys, um, I think, you know, we started at the beginning <laughs> saying criticism takes time. Uh, we could probably agree it's a little bit silly, you know seeing a teaser trailer for a game coming out in three years and being like, ah, it's my game of the year in 2025. (laughs) But at the same time, um, we've played through this game. I mean, you two are almost through it twice now. Um, Is this, do you think, you know, the year's not halfway over, but do you think this will wind up being your game of the year? It'd be very surprising to me if something else came out. I like more than this. Yeah. Uh, It's possible, but knowing what is on the way, like it would be a little bit surprising, uh, but I also I don't play every new thing that comes out. You know, right. we we play games for for the show for work, so I end up stuck you know several years behind a new game cycle <laughs> almost every year. Uh, 
it's very unlikely that I will have a really informed opinion. So it, it, it'll probably be my favorite, but that it won't, I won't have a broad category with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like when, you know, if I were to say this is my game of the year in May of the year in question, there's an implied for now in it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, no, just that this is the thing that has impressed me the most so far. You know, also I think that uh, the, the game of the year discussion, boiling that down to just one kind of thing, you know, for an individual is a, is, is a little bit of a strange impulse um, because games at different scales, games uh you know satisfy kind of different needs different niches you know that kind of deal i think that so far this is the most remarkable game that i have that that i have played and it will be uh very difficult for something to be you know more noteworthy than this to me uh just because of what this managed to accomplish Mm -hmm. yeah and i want to echo that sentiment too i think that absolutely you know we're marketed hey pick your game of the year uh, one of the biggest events of the year is the game awards where they're, they're inviting you to vote, not inciting people to argue, but we do that all on our own, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's absolutely something that becomes a huge, maybe too huge of a discussion. It doesn't really matter, I guess, you know, what is the game of the year? Um, but having a person's favorite game of the year. Um, I think it's exciting to see the variety again of, of games that people pick. Some people only play indies. Yeah. Some people mm-hmm. only play retro games and they will be like, my favorite game I played this year came out in 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And some people will only play new games. So uh, yeah, I guess, you know, to answer the question for myself, um, I was hugely impressed by Elden Ring. Um Right now I'm playing Dragon Quest Builders too, and I'm hugely impressed by that. But they're completely different games. Yeah. Completely different games. So as long as we can recognize they take place in the same shared universe. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. You you joke, but now uh, now you just seeded that dream in my mind. I want to see an Elden Ring Builders. Oh man, I'd be all over that. All over that. Hey, guys, thanks very much for being on the show with me. Uh, Go ahead and if you could tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah, we do many podcasts. Uh, You can find them over at duckfeed.tv. That is the URL. You can do a search for that in your uh, uh, podcast directory of choice. Uh, Specifically uh, of interest to you, if you're listening to this, we do a show called Bonfireside Chat that uh, uh, is broadly about From games and uh, games that From has influenced and games that influence From. We're currently doing the Elden Ring season. Uh, That is a premium show on our Patreon, the first two major episodes kind of the generalities and the uh, tutorial and introduction those are available available for free however uh, but if you want to get the whole thing that is at patreon.com slash duckvtv along with just an inadvisable amount of extra content on top of that excellent excellent so folks there'll be links in the podcast description check out gary and cole gary and cole thanks very much for your time thanks very much for joining me on this episode i appreciate you yeah thank you we appreciate you thank you for having us yeah Placidu sacks. Placidu sacks. <laughs> and a merry placidu sacks to you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did, here are a few next steps. Try browsing our library and check out another episode. Or you could leave a review or rating on your app of choice, and that'd really help out the show. How about joining our Discord community? 
It's active and there's links for you in the description. I'm also delighted to announce our magazine that's coming physical and digital, currently fully funded on Kickstarter, NES Pro. Find us on Kickstarter. We're hitting our stretch goals, NES Pro. Link in the description. Now this episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and Placidusacs. <laughs>